Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, retired professional wrestler Henry Huge Pecks, the suplex throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening. We welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And of course, don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And boy, oh boy, folks. We have a special treat for you this time around because joining me today to review Monday Night Raw on this fine podcast is none other than Andy, the creator of the Shadow Vane podcast, as well as the brand new Tuning Japanese podcast, also an occasional contributor to the Rundown Wrestling podcast, much like my good friend Raccoon Reigns. Andy, would you mind telling the fans about Shadow Vane and Tuning Japanese and why they should be listening to those shows? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you so much, Mr. Should I, should I call you Henry? Mr. Huge Pex? I mean, what do you prefer? Oh, he- Henry's fine. Okay, well, th- well, thank you very much, Henry, for allowing me the opportunity to come on the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am a big fan, and I appreciate your entire career of work in the wrestling industry, so of thank course. you very much, first and foremost. It's always nice uh, to talk with a fan. Yeah, it is great. Um, so, Shadow Vane Podcast, I'll start there, uh, because it's kind of my, my baby project. Uh, Shadow Vane Podcast is a radio drama that is kind of in the particular sort of genres of science fiction, horror, and suspense. And we write our own stories and produce it kind of in the same sort of vein as something like a We're Alive or a Welcome to Night Vale, but not quite as popular. And uh, <laughs> not, not yet, are... but soon. Soon, soon. We got some pretty good download numbers, so uh, I'll be sure to send out a shout out for this episode so people can come watch, uh, watch, listen to your show. Um, and we are just wrapping up our first storyline. Actually, tonight, hopefully, if the if the stars are in order, I'll get the final episode of Progenics Labs out. Uh, Tuning Japanese is another podcast where we, we just started. Uh, my buddy Bill, Josh, and myself, we're all talking about Japanese anime from our childhood and reviewing it. And it's been a lot of fun so far. Episode Zero just got released. You can find Shadowvane at Shadowvane.net and Tuning Japanese at TuningJapanese.com. Awesome. And and I assume maybe there'll be a spot for me on one of the episodes of Tuning Japanese, perhaps? We would love to have you on board. All right, good. Because I've never actually sat down and watched any uh, any anime for any prolonged period of time. It'll be fantastic. I think it'll be a, a really good time. I'd love to have you on there. Awesome. I've, I've seen a bit of Pokemon, but that's that's about it. <laughs> but we won't go there. Okay, all right, good. Uh, well then, without further ado, shall we dive into this episode of Monday Night Raw? Absolutely. This is an interesting episode. I have a lot to talk about. Oof, to say the least. So this was uh, episode... Uh, I'd actually, I'd, I was going to say the episode number. I don't know what it is, but it's from February 2nd, two hundred forty-five. I do believe. 245. Oh, perfect. There you go. So you fans at home, if you want to go on the network, episode 245 from February 2nd, 1998. A special Groundhog Day episode, which is actually kind of fitting <laughs> since every match seems to be ending via disqualification lately. Um, now, keep in mind, actually, this is when the WWF was alternating live and pre-taped shows at the same time. So tonight is actually a live episode from Indianapolis, Indiana. That's only about 300 miles from you. Did you ever make the trip to Indianapolis? Uh, not to watch wrestling. I've been out there before, but uh, have not seen uh, a live wrestling event there. I We have a local uh, particular arena here called uh, the iWireless Center, and I've seen a couple events here. We just had, a while back, the revival event of the King of the Ring that actually took place here in oh. Moline, Illinois. So that, w- that was a lot of fun to go watch. The, they revived the King of the Ring? Yes. Uh, a while back, uh, I think it was that was the one where it was Neville and... Uh, Wade Barrett in the finals. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was pretty recently then. Yeah. Yeah, because he's still using that, that King moniker, kind of. Still is, somewhat. 
to oh. some extent. Okay, that's interesting. Well, there you go. How is Indianapolis? Quite scenic? Yeah, no, I, I go there. I, I go there at least once a year uh, for a big gaming convention, uh, Gen Con. But uh, it's it's nice. It's a nice city. A lot of nice people there. Now, is that the the nearest big city to you, or is Chicago closer? Chicago is probably yeah. closer. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Okay. Well, so we're from Indianapolis on this uh, this episode of Raw. So even though this is a live episode, we do open with a pre-taped segment from our friends in Degeneration X. I think this is actually one of the more famous DX segments where they start mm-hmm. behind the podium and give what is essentially their State of the Union address. Um, for a little bit of context here, President Bill Clinton had given his State of the Union address just six days prior on January 27th. Ah. And news of the Monica Lewinsky scandal had hit the mainstream press on January 21st, 13 days prior. So DX likely would have given their take on the scandal a bit sooner. Uh, But the previous episode of Raw was actually pre-taped on January 20th, which was a day before the scandal broke. So now they finally have their chance. Uh, Now, Andy, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the paper they were reading from here was actually legitimately written to the WWF by the USA Network, telling them what they can and cannot do on the air. But instead of taking the advice to heart, Sean and Hunter decided to read the statement on Raw. So as it turns out, they were both nervous as to how the USA Network would respond. Right. But, of course, the network later told them they actually loved the skit, which further emboldened DX to continue doing whatever the hell they wanted to do. Uh, you can actually hear Sean Hunter and Vince McMahon address this uh, in an episode of the Monday Night War on the network mm-hmm. called A New Degeneration, if you are so inclined. Uh, not to give you know the network a plug, but it's a pretty interesting story. Uh, the version of their speech, which we saw on Raw, was obviously censored. But thankfully, you can find uncensored versions of it online. So here's a clip for you listeners at home. Uh, warning, saucy language ahead. We will only use the words ass, damn, hell, and bitch. We will never, however, use the words shit, fuck, goddamn, Jesus Christ, faggot, or any other racial or sexual slurs. Now then, as it pertains to video, we promise there will be less dick references. Oh, shit. Watch your fucking mouth. Well, fuck me. God damn it. Fuck. Anyway, there will be less penis references. Oh, and one last thing. Even though many of you believe that currently the favorite pastime in the oral office is swallow the leader. I did not. I repeat, I did not sleep with that young intern. As a matter of fact, I was up all night. <laughs> so, Andy, what did you think of DX's State of the Union? You know, the, I always, it's one of those iconic things, like you said. And listening to the uncensored version is is very interesting, and it kind of puts you in a particular time period of you know this is the '90s, and they can get away with saying, well, not get away with, but you know they they it was not as necessarily frowned upon to say certain things. Yeah. Um. But it was it it was a good skit. I think uh this was a very heavy DX night, and oh yeah, which I mean it's the Attitude Era, so I mean you're gonna get a lot of that. But, uh, you know, it was kind of the, the start of, you know, I, I like that you brought up the fact that this was re- directly to the USA Network because I think I remember the same thing, that this was kind of what helped them really kind of continue to do, like you said, whatever the heck they wanted mm-hmm. on the USA Network, oh, yeah. which was a big worry of Vince's at one point. Yeah, big time. I, I hate to, to actually point this out because it really fits the WWE narrative of the Monday Night Wars, but uh-huh. really right now, DX and Steve Austin are basically the reason to watch Monday Night Raw. Um, right. Right now, where they are right now is kind of in the 
it might as well be called the half pregnant era because mm-hmm. they're basically they're in the quote unquote attitude era right now, but the entire show is not quite there yet. There's no. still, you know, quite a bit of holdovers from the new generation era. So mm-hmm. the ones who are standing out are really Steve Austin, you know, flipping people off, using the profanity and DX with their never ending stream of dick jokes. Um, but really, I mean, those two right now are the reasons basically to watch Raw. Um, yeah. And, and occasionally the Outlaws as well, which we'll, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Um, yeah, they were all over this episode. Oh my God. Um, to say the because- least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, glad you said that because, you know, you go from one extreme of, like, the very entertaining introduction to later on, we still have this, like, new NWA gimmick thing that's going yeah, on. Yes, and, exactly. Which is a complete crap. But we'll we'll talk about that. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think I thought the DX State of the Union thing was uh, pretty amusing. I, for some reason, I got a kick out of uh, Shawn Michaels just saying, oh, shit. <laughs> just the way he delivered that Great. line, I just love it. Yeah, uh, oh, obviously yeah. censored on the real broadcast, but but pretty entertaining. Um, so anyway, that was the opening segment. After that, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and of course the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Once again, not too many noteworthy signs. However, there were a few guys dressed in camouflage who held up a sign which said "Stone Cold, take us hunting." And I think <laughs> I think the sad thing is those guys were actually legitimately hoping for that, but. I don't know. Would that be the sort of thing the Make-A-Wish people would do? You know, before your Yeah, before your own life extinguishes, go hunting with Steve Austin, take a bunch of God's creatures with you. I don't know. I think it might be yeah, I, might be worth a shot. I think so. I think so. Worth a shot. I, I see what you're uh, uh, ah. Wasn't even trying. They just come out naturally. I don't even try. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as you said, sure enough, DX are starting the festivities. They come to the ring with red, white, and blue balloons falling from the ceiling. And I should point out, actually, Hunter is now finally walking without crutches for the first time in about a month and a half. Sean and Hunter are both dressed as Uncle Sam, and fittingly enough, they're carrying their own signs, which have such sayings as, Uncle Sam wants Tyson Austin. Ladies, who's going down for the count? And I'm standing at eight inches. It actually took me a second to realize that last one was a reference to boxing's standing eight count as a tribute mm-hmm. to Mike Tyson. Because initially I was like, standing, is he just talking about his eight-inch dick? Like, what, what? But yeah, so, <laughs> so that was actually a boxing reference. Took me a That's second. That's clever. That's really clever. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's the height of cleverness for DX. <laughs> um, so Jim Ross informs us that all available tickets for WrestleMania 14 sold out in 90 seconds, which somehow does not seem possible. I mean, even if we're talking about online ticket sales, these are still the days of dial-up 56K modems. So I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, no, no, they, they, they show a, a scene later on where that dude, uh, wink something or other comes yes. up and, uh, they, they literally show a line of people outside of a building waiting to get in to get tickets. So unless they like just rapid fire, just started throwing tickets in the air and said, whoever can catch them, gets them. I have <laughs> no idea how 90 seconds can, can be enough time to sell out all those tickets. Seriously. Unless there were like 12 tickets available. Right. Maybe there were, but that's probably what they're not telling you. It's like Black Friday where you go in and you're like, oh, I didn't get here in time to get that one TV. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, also, did you notice, I didn't mention this uh, in the recap, but did you notice when they showed that line of fans that there's one guy who gets on the ground and basically like fakes a seizure? No, I, I did not see that. Oh, great. Yeah, go back and watch it. I'm it was, it was in Boston, actually, right at uh, North Station, I believe, right around there where the garden is. So Adam and I, when we go to, uh, when we go to uh, shows at the garden, WWE shows, uh, we go right by that entrance, actually. Oh, did you guys go to this event? Uh, no, I've, I've never been to a WrestleMania, sadly. Oh. Went to a Royal Rumble. I went to Rumble 03, the one that uh, Brock Lesnar won. Nice, nice. Yeah, and where we gave the famous standing ovation to uh, nobody after he lost to Kurt Angle. 
Right. We'll, we'll just keep it at that. We'll yeah. Keep it at that. Yeah. I, I can't remember who it was. We, we gave a standing ovation to an empty ring is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Um, hey, so, so this opening skit with DX, I, you know, I have to wonder since this was, I thought it was very well-timed being that it is political season and we are in the heat <laughs> of a eventual, probably Donald Trump presidency, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, do you think that the Michael's, Helmsley ticket would be a winning ticket in this political environment. Do you think people would vote for? I think they're appealing to the same denominator that Trump is. So yeah, anything's possible. All right, there's hope for the world. China could be the first lady, I guess. Maybe. I probably. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I never saw that Playboy thing. So uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe a woman. I don't know. Or, uh, no, neither did I see backdoor into China. Uh, unfortunately, I have, and. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave my thoughts on that uh, for another day, but uh, it, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I imagine it wouldn't be. There was also the one she did with X-Pac, which sadly I, I also uh, may have watched. You were for punishment. No, yeah, I, I couldn't make it through the whole thing, but you know, I, I watched as much as I could. It was that good, huh? Couldn't make it through the whole thing? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to hold off on watching the sunny one. J- just the one with Fondle Mielmo is enough for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm going to stay away from that as well. Yeah. The the original, the classic. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Sean and Hunter pitch the Tyson-Austin match while fans continuously pop balloons in the background, and they get the crowd to join in on a let-them-fight chant, meaning Tyson and Austin. However, Stone Cold Steve Austin then interrupts the festivities and immediately stares Sean down face-to-face. Austin says he appreciates Michaels advocating for the Tyson match, but he won the Royal Rumble, so HBK's ass belongs to him. Strangely, they each do matching Hulk Hogan-esque t-shirt tears as, I guess, a showing of masculinity as they right. were, as if they were two bare bun baboons attempting to impress a swollen rumped female, I'm assuming. I don't know. Austin then flips DX, flips DX off, I should say, and leaves. So what did you think of this opening showdown with uh, Austin and, and Sean going face to face? Uh, it was intense. I was just really confused why Sean's eyes looked like they were closed the entire yeah. time that he was like face to face with Austin. Like he was giving was, such it, a weird look. It was so awkward. It was so awkward. Very bizarre. I was wondering if maybe he was like coked up or something, or you know, drugged up. Uh, you know, at, at this period of time, you can't really rule it out. No, you really can't. But it was it was a good it was a good moment to again try to build. I mean, the great thing about. This particular, you know, time period is that they took their time to build the storylines going into WrestleMania, and Absolutely. I feel like they 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 did a very good job. You know, we we know going forward, looking ahead at you know Sean's back is not going to be in any shape to to wrestle in that main event, but he still the buildup was good and he still pulled it off when we get to WrestleMania. But it was good. It was a good opening segment, I think. Yeah, and this was pretty much, I think, so far the first time we've actually seen, uh, even though Austin won the Rumble, I think, two weeks prior. Um, since then, it's basically just been Tyson-Austin has been the buildup. But Tyson and HBK has basically been secondary. So this was the first time where it really took uh, center stage, as it were. And obviously, that's the match we're getting. Spoiler alert, people, we're not getting Mike Tyson fighting Steve Austin. Just just to let you know. Right. Would have right. been would have been nice, but I don't think there was that was ever going to be in the cards. No, definitely not. But yeah, so our first match on the card was Cactus Jack versus Chainsaw Charlie. And when I saw this was the first match, I immediately perked up because I knew we were getting yet another famous Attitude Era moment on this show. So earlier today, Jim Ross interviewed both men and asked why they were fighting each other tonight. Foley said he was once told he'd be in a wheelchair by the time he was 30, and he's already past that age. So since he's on borrowed time, he wants to give the fans something to remember tonight. 
Terry Funk then says he's always been a hardcore wrestler and wants to go out as a hardcore wrestler. And, quote, it's not that long till I go out. Now, <laughs> I'm just going to point out Funk gave that interview in February 1998, and he just wrestled a match as recently as October 2015. So I think he sold himself a little bit short there. I think but so, it, too. Yeah. I, and I, I wonder, you know, it was a good interview. I really, really liked that interview segment. Um, it was it was really nice to, to kind of see both of them just opening up about, you know, their wrestling style and, and where they're coming from. But then why are they still giving Terry Funk the gimmick of Chainsaw Charlie? If yeah. You're, you're going to run this interview. You're going to have Jim Ross be like, Terry, tell me how you feel. Why does it matter? Like, like, why do they, like you said, it's kind of this weird period where we're kind of holding over with a lot of these weird gimmicky things from the old WWF. Yeah. Moving I- on to these non-gimmicky things. Yeah, the funny thing is, so a couple a couple episodes back when they debuted the Chainsaw Charlie character, I actually read a, a piece from Terry Funk's autobiography where he basically took credit for the idea, uh, essentially on the spot, where he was. He, they were initially just going to have him come out of the box, I think, as Terry Funk. And he's like, well, I can't just come out as Terry Funk, blah, blah, blah. So he, on the spot, pitched, Chainsaw Charlie, get me a chainsaw. And then he was like, get me some, <laughs> get me some women's pantyhose and we'll put some baby powder on it. But the funny thing is, even though like basically this is you know, Terry Funk's baby, even Jim Ross basically just openly refers to him as Terry Funk instead of Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah. And in one of the pre-taped segments a couple weeks prior, Mick Foley's just like, I have no idea why Terry Funk is calling himself Chainsaw Charlie, but he is. So it's kind of just like, <laughs> it's basically just like everybody is just openly saying, yeah, we know it's Terry Funk. Just let's just all, you know, move on with our lives because <laughs> yeah. he wants to be Chainsaw Charlie. Let him be Chainsaw Charlie. He might be going senile. We don't know. Just Just let him do it. Yeah, he's, so. he's an old crazy man. Just, you know, if he wants to wear pantyhose on his head, let him go for it. Exactly. Which, for some reason, Jim Ross does refer to him as middle-aged and crazy, even though he's 53 years old at this juncture. Um, yeah. Well, so, I mean, like you said, he's still wrestling at the, uh, you know, 2015, so that apparently is middle-aged for him. It, it may be. He might live to 106. We don't know. <laughs> maybe. 53 may be his middle age. Maybe. But uh, anyway, so as for the start of the match, uh, Funk wheels a small garbage bin to the ring, but before Cactus enters, we hear audio of Foley saying, Charlie, that's not a garbage can. Here's a garbage can. And Foley then emerges from backstage, pushing a dumpster full of hardcore weapons, including ladders and tables. Instead of starting the match in the ring, Funk goes up the ramp to confront Foley there, and they start beating on each other with chairs, ladders, and bags full of trash. I don't think I ever actually heard a bell, so maybe this match was never actually a match. The world may never know. Eventually, they take the fight into the ring where Funk fills it with garbage cans. Foley hit Funk a few times with a can, but then, the gentleman that he is, he gives a can to Funk and asks him to hit him with it, to which Terry obliges. After a quick commercial break, we return to the action and see that both men are now back up on the stage area where Funk is doing his trademark spinning with the ladder spot. Funk then sets up a table next to the dumpster and looks to pile drive Foley on it, but instead Foley backdrops Funk into the dumpster. Foley then subdues Funk with the mandible claw and sets up a ladder. He climbs up to the base of the Titantron, where he then proceeds to jump off and hit an elbow drop onto Funk in the dumpster, which amusingly causes a bunch of styrofoam packing peanuts to shoot into the air. (laughs) It's a pretty good visual. It is good. So while the two brawl outside, the New Age Outlaws show up and then proceed to close the lids and tie them shut so Foley and Funk can't escape. They consider pushing the dumpster toward the ring, but then they look off to the side of the stage and change their minds. What follows is one of the more famous spots in Attitude Era history as Road Dog and Billy Gunn then push the dumpster off the side of the stage. And here's a clip of that moment with some excellent Jim Ross commentary to go along with it. Road Dog and Billy, Billy Gunn, wait a minute, wait a minute! Oh my God, don't you dare do that! Don't you 
Now, this actually leads to one of those moments where the actions we just witnessed are so heinous that both heels and faces come from backstage to help out. Among them, Owen Hart, Jerry Lawler, the Headbangers, Mark Marrow, Flash Funk, and Barry Windham come to the scene. And for her part, Sonny really goes for it in the acting department by crying and desperately yelling, Somebody do something! Very convincing, actually. Funk can also be heard playing up the severity of his injury by yelling, My goddamn neck! Vince McMahon's even shown <laughs> Vince McMahon is even shown talking to the outlaws as Road Dog says to him, It just didn't turn out as planned. You know me better than that. So it seems like they're really playing it up as though they legitimately injured them and took the spot too far. We get another commercial break and when we come back the scene is still unfolding, with Foley and Funk being placed on stretchers and put into an ambulance as Sonny holds Funk's hand and continues to cry. JR breaks Kayfabe by telling us that the outlaws were trying to quote get over, and then he explains to us what that means. Flash <laughs> Funk then pops the crowd by trying to go after the outlaws as WWF officials hold him back. I think they were trying to play up the emotion he had because he previously was in ECW with both of these guys. However, yeah, I think so. Yeah, however, I will note his anger would look much more badass if not for the fact that he's dressed in a bright red onesie with stars on it. <laughs> Doesn't quite have the same effect. No, nowhere near. So so then a brawl actually then does break out with heels and faces convincingly attacking the outlaws. So kudos to them for making this seem like a real angle. Kevin Kelly mentions wrestler's court for some reason, and JR tells us that, quote, bad guy wrestlers and fan favorites both have families to feed, so we're totally shooting here, bros. Now, I just want to point out, Jim Ross keeps telling us that falling off the stage is a 10-foot drop. However, when Barry Windham was standing next to it, he was basically the same height as the stage. So I guess that means Barry Windham is now officially the world's tallest man. I think so. Yeah, that's he, is, he is 10 feet tall. Eventually, the ambulance drives away, and order is seemingly restored as we go to another commercial break. When we come back, the outlaws are backstage, and JR asks them if they were that desperate to get over. Road Dog says maybe they did take it too far, but then Shawn Michaels and Triple H show up. Show up, that is. They tell them not to feel remorse, and they're getting ratings, so that's what matters. We'll see about that at the end of the podcast. Shawn and Hunter then ominously tell them, quote, The show always goes on, and boy oh boy, do those words end up ringing pretty true about one year from now, but we, we won't get into that. <laughs> so, would you care to take a guess as to how much TV time they spent on this segment from the outlaws locking Foley and Funk in the dumpster up to the end of the first hour of the show? Um, if I had to take a guess, I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, it felt like it took forever. I was When I was watching it, I was skipping ahead quite a bit because it was kind of kind of tiresome um but are, are you counting like the updates and such later on too uh nope just from when they were locked into the dumpster and pushed off to when they finally moved on to the next segment i'm gonna say about 15 minutes that is that is correct actually the answer is 16 minutes nice. but mind you that's also not counting the time for the commercial breaks so right. with that it was probably closer to 22 or 23 minutes in total devoted solely to the dumpster incident so obviously they're really going for believability here. I actually read a couple fan reports online for people who were actually at this event, and mostly they were just kind of confused slash aggravated because they were just waiting around for almost a half an hour with nothing happening. Yeah, that's that's got to be – I mean that's much better for television and not so much for the live audience. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so actually, so for you fans of Blurring the Lines Wrestling, this angle may seem quite reminiscent of one which ECW ran on the October 4th, 1994 episode of Hardcore TV. In an I Quit match between Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman, Dreamer swatted a lit cigarette into Sandman's eye and then hit him with a Singapore cane in his other eye, and they played the angle off as completely legit as well. Heels and faces tended Sandman as woman, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, screamed at Dreamer for being careless. And on the rise and fall of ECW DVD, Paul Heyman mentions that Salmon... S salmon? Sandman. <laughs> he was a salmon. 
Sandman <laughs> stayed in his house for a month to play up the severity of the angle so people would think it was real. A month. Now, personally, wow. I would say that giving, quote-unquote, real-life angles more time makes them seem that much more legitimate. So why do I mention that? Well, stay tuned for the end of this episode. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. You know, my, my so, favorite Andy, part of that whole segment... My, well, my, whole, my favorite part of the whole segment was I overheard at one point, you know, like when all the chaos was going on, you heard someone in the background saying, when do you want the ambulance? Mm. Um, well, as soon as possible, I'd imagine, <laughs> unless, they're, unless they're talking to Vince saying, so what time on this, you know, we, how much time are we going to use before we pull the ambulance bit in? Um, so, yeah, that was not in that. Yeah, I overheard that and that was not very good. That's a good point. Um, I heard that, too, and I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it seemed like such a strange comment. Uh, the <laughs> match itself was between Cactus Jack, Terry Funk, not bad. The beginning was really slow and sloppy, but when they came back from the second commercial break, then it was it was much better. I felt like it was a much more intense match. And yeah, I, I felt like it just went on way too long. Yeah, I, I obviously remember the dumpster incident, but I did not remember them taking up nearly half an hour of TV time just for this angle. Um I remember a little bit that, you know, that heels and faces kind of came out and treated it as a serious thing, but like seeing the amount of time they took up on a broadcast, it basically took up, if you're counting the Foley funk match and then the dumpster incident and then all the stuff after it, it basically took up about 30 to 35 minutes of the show just dedicated to this one angle. Yeah. It's like more than the fourth of the show right there. Yeah, exactly. So, or even if you want to think of it in terms of TV time, I think the episode is, you know, about an hour and a half without commercials. So yeah, it's like a third of the TV time just dedicated to this. And I'll I'll save my thoughts for the whole thing later because I feel like what they did later completely undid all the work they did with this segment. Um, But I'll, I'll just, we can get into that toward the end of the show. I'm um, sure we'll get there. For sure. So after that, we get the credits for hour number two, and when we come back, Billy Gunn actually has a match, really. After all that, Billy Gunn has a match. So Road Dog starts doing his oh-you-didn't-know routine, but then he just says, forget it. So clearly, this is a man who's too distraught to even pimp his own tag partner. Yeah. And this actually leads to our WWF European title match, champion Owen Hart versus Billy Gunn. Owen jumps Billy right from the outset, because now, this shit is personal. This was actually a pretty solid match between two pretty good wrestlers. It lasted about six minutes, which is an eternity when compared to recent Attitude Era Raw matches. But of <laughs> course, would you care to guess how the match ends, fans? I think the fans know what's coming. You guessed it, Nostra Dumbass, a disqualification. <laughs> Billy went for a sunset flip, but then Owen grabbed his legs, reversed it into a sharpshooter, so Road Dog ran into the ring to interfere before Billy could tap. DX then came to ringside and proceeded to join the Outlaws in beating up Owen. Obviously, an important point to make uh, in case you in case you aren't you know well versed in the previous weeks. Uh, the Outlaws are not quite in DX yet, but they're basically kind of you know I don't know what you would call them associate members. I would say it's like associated, yeah, yeah. So they're not officially in it yet, but they have worked together in the past. They teamed up on the Legion of Doom to put them through a table and shave their shave Hawks mohawk. So they've they've done business together before, is what I'm saying. Yeah, there were a couple, actually a couple LOD chants the whole night um, in kind of the more tense moments. The fans would, would chant for LOD to come down like it's Save Austin. Exactly. Course, we, we did not get that. No, that that was the funny thing that even at the end, the fans were not expecting the people who came out to came out to come out, I should say. They were still yeah. like, oh, it has to be LOD, right? Because certainly it's not the other guys. It, it couldn't be them, right? But yeah. 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 But of course it was. Anyway. Yeah. 
so yeah, DX came to ringside. They continued beating on uh, on Owen Hart, uh, working him all the way up the ramp until Triple H hit Owen with a DDT on the stage, right next to where the dumpster was just pushed off. Sean and Hunter then encouraged the Outlaws to take things even farther and bump up the ratings by throwing Owen off the stage. They pick him up by his hands and feet and start swinging him as though they were about to chuck him, but WWF officials come to the rescue before they can do so. Now, the whole roster previously came out to get in the Outlaws' faces when they pushed Funk and Foley off the stage, but apparently none of the wrestlers gave a crap about Owen Hart potentially being thrown onto concrete, so maybe he needs to make some more friends, I guess? Maybe, or maybe they were trying to, uh, they, they saw into the future and said, you know what, he needs to learn how to take a fall like that on oh. onto on solid ground, so... <laughs> Sorry, too soon? Too soon? Too soon, well, let's see, it was... About 17 years ago now? Yeah, too soon, too soon. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it. Sorry, my apologies, fans. Yeah, but what'd you think of the uh, the match and the uh, attempted Owen murder segment? <laughs> match itself was good. Uh, murder scene uh, was interesting. I'm glad that they... That they, I think that there was a little bit of a misstep because when they were going to swing him off, like, DX stops him and is like, oh, no, no, Just go ahead and swing him. Like, like you tell, like, it's like, we're not ready yet. They're not here. You can't yeah. actually throw him off. Um, but a little, little mistiming, but otherwise a good segment again. Yeah, it, it's certainly, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, the, the outlaws after, after they push Funk and Foley off in the dumpster. You could see them having genuine remorse with Road Dog talking to Vince and being like, oh, I didn't mean to. And then when they, yeah. they were doing the interview with JR, um, Road Dog was like, yeah, maybe I took it too far. But then you have the DX influence with them trying to impress DX. It's kind of interesting that Sean and Hunter are basically like the evil little devils on their shoulder being like, no, no, you did the right thing pushing him off. And you know what? You need to take it further and you need to throw this guy off the stage and almost kill him. That's what yeah. you got to do. You need to do so, kill Owen Hart. That's what you need to do. Pretty much. So it's kind of it's just funny seeing that fine line where it's like the outlaws are like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. But Sean and Hunter, I guess, are apparently the epitome of evil on this show. Uh, the guys who were just seen joking about presidential BJs at the beginning of the show are now apparently, you know, riding that line where it's like they're comedic, but they're also the devil incarnate. Right. Kind of funny how that works. Yeah, absolutely. But anywho, so your next match was Mark Merrow versus Headbanger Mosh. So before the match, yeah. Before the match, Mero makes Sable put on a robe to cover herself up, and then she takes his robe off so he can wrestle. When she exits the ring, Sable is immediately given a box of chocolates on behalf of a secret admirer, which Mero jealously throws into the aisleway. Mero then says she makes him sick, and quote, You ought to get back on that Stairmaster. It looks like you gained a few pounds. <laughs> In your tits? If anywhere? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, looking back, I, I don't know what the big deal was about, about Sable. I mean, yes, she had a nice body, but, like, I don't know. like that No face. personality. And no personality. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was just a, a sort of, like, right place, right time thing where... Yeah, maybe. You know, when, when the Attitude Era starts really kicking into gear, she's the one who's coming out every single week and showing off her body. Um, because you don't really get that with Sunny. Um, you you get it a little bit when when she comes out because Sunny was obviously you know the first quote unquote diva, yeah. But with her, she's not really you know appealing to that base level instinct that a lot of the attitude of her fans want, where it's just like take your clothes off. <laughs> and Sable was obviously more than willing to do that coming out. Right, I mean, Sable you know, had no times. problem, no problem whatsoever doing that. Yeah, so I think it was a case of right place, right time for her. Um, but you know that's just my personal theory. I don't know. Um, basically, you know, back in time, when when scholars go back and write the history books, we'll see how they feel about Sable. I personally think it was a right place, right time thing, but, you know, 
We'll see when the history I, books I are guess written. We'll see. When those when those wrestling history books are written. When she goes into the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah. I'm actually surprised that has not happened yet, legitimately. Give it time. Give it time. Yeah. Make Brock happy. Put his wife in. There you go. Yeah. Maybe it's because she sued the company that they're not I don't know. Just Maybe. just speculation. Maybe. So yeah, so Mero basically forces her to go backstage, and instead he introduces us to someone who will watch his back instead, the artist formerly known as Goldust, who oh, is dressed yeah. as Marilyn Manson, presumably because this match involves one of the headbangers. Mero starts singing Manson's song, The Beautiful People, which, side note, was actually the original theme song when Monday Night Raw was re- renamed Raw as War one year prior. Didn't last very long, though. Um, Did and actually, know you know, as, as a quick side note, I... Am kind of enjoying the gold dust costumes, aside from the ridiculously offensive blackface that he dressed in a few weeks prior. Yeah, that was horrendous. But I am kind of enjoying seeing the different uh, characters he dresses as on a week-to-week basis. I mean, not so much his matches at this point, but it is kind of interesting seeing all the the goofy shit that he's going through. Yeah, I, I feel like that's like his strength at this point. I mean, if you take a look at him, he was kind of in his roughest point in his wrestling career. I mean, even physically, you can tell he's not all there. But uh, but the definitely the gimmick of the artist formerly known as Gold Dust, I thought that was, I agree with you. I thought it had some very interesting points. Yeah, I I liked it a lot more than I remember liking it, because when he was Gold Dust, obviously you know he was sort of the weird androgynous guy dressed as a giant Oscar statuette. But now he's kind of being like, oh, if you thought Gold Dust was weird, I'm gonna do even weirder shit on a weekly basis. Right. You know, I'm not just gonna dress as a gold guy. I'm gonna dress as fucking a Christmas tree, and I'm gonna dress <laughs> as Marilyn Manson, the New Year's and, baby, <laughs> the New Year's baby. Oh God, yeah, and Vader. Um, yes. But yeah, so it, so far it's interesting. Goldust is actually at least pretty entertaining. Um, of course, if you listen to last week, he also dressed up as Triple H and thereby lost Triple H's European title. Um, that was pretty amusing. But I'm surprised um, DX didn't like you know get really pissed off about that and go after him. Well, they they sent him out there. Ah, so they, when they sent him out there, they were assuming that it was just going to be Owen Hart wrestling, you know, Goldust, but not for the title. Right, but later Commissioner Slaughter came out and said, "Hey, Goldust, you did such a good job impersonating Triple H. I'm going to switch the title over." So nice, yeah. So it was it, was, it kind of backfired in DX's faces, basically. Mm-hmm. But anywho, so as for uh, Mero versus Mosh, pretty much a nothing match. It ended when Goldust and Thrasher fought outside the ring, which distracted the referee and allowed Mero to hit a low blow on Mosh and roll him up for the three count. Now, can you ever remember seeing a ball shot used as a finisher? Uh, no. Not that no. I can think of. Well, maybe maybe when Goldust eventually uses the Shattered Dreams, but even then, that's more of a disqualification finish, I think, right? Not yeah, an actual I think pinfall. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we know that a kick in the balls is what keeps Brock Lesnar on the canvas for minutes on end, but no one has ever actually pinned him with it once he gets his dangles jangled. So I don't know. I mean, we've never actually seen someone get pinned from a ball shot as far as I know. I, I don't know either. I, I don't believe I've ever seen it myself. Yeah, so we basically witnessed history. Is what it I'm is saying. history. This this is a history making episode of Monday Night Raw. Pinfall off a ball shot. Mm-hmm. So next up, we cut to a split screen of two separate backstage areas, with one box showing Black Black Jack Bradshaw, aka the future JBL, and the other box showing Jim Cornette's NWA stable, Jeff oh Jarrett, Barry Windham, 
And the Rock and Roll Express, yeah. yeah. Wyndham says that Bradshaw's out-of-control rage is the reason they always lost their matches, and Bradshaw needs professional help. Now, actually, judging from some of the backstage stories about JBL, I dare say Wyndham's assessment is not that too far is not that far from the truth, actually. Um, but Wyndham doesn't want a one-on-one match. He wants a tag match with himself and Jarrett against Bradshaw and a partner of his choice. Bradshaw then proceeds to flip out and throw some stuff around, thereby basically proving Wyndham's point about his out-of-control rage. Also, despite the fact that the new blackjacks have been broken up for two solid weeks now, JBL is still sporting a cowboy hat, vest, chaps, and goofy horseshoe mustache. I think someone needs to give him the memo that once your team disbands, you no longer have to dress up as one of the village people. Right, and and you know, my favorite part about that whole outfit is the BJ on the back of his trunks. Yes! Pretty fantastic. Oh my God. Even though it stands for blackjack, I mean, come on, no, no one's... You, you gotta know better than that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeesh. And then we get a pre-taped vignette reintroducing us to Tiger Ali Singh, who has ah, Tiger Ali. Oh yes, he has not actually been on WWF television for almost a solid year at this point. We see him flying around in a helicopter over a large palatial estate, and he refers to himself as quote the next Asian Arnold Schwarzenegger and quote the true Messiah. He says he's putting Hollywood and all of his endorsements on the back burner because he wants to be recognized as, quote, the greatest fighter of all time. I wonder how that'll work out for him. Didn't didn't The Undertaker murder him, like, in storyline? That was Muhammad Hassan. Oh, Muhammad Hassan. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm getting, I apologize, I got that mixed up. Similar vein, similar vein. Yeah. Uh, both of them play basically on the worst foreigner stereotypes imaginable, so they're in the same ballpark. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that was not a, a like a racist sort of thing of getting them mixed up, but they WWE just does that so often that it's hard to keep track of like which wrestler did which part of the gimmick because they're basically the same. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because at this point, I'm going to play a clip from the late comedian Patrice O'Neill, who was okay. briefly a writer. He was briefly a writer for the WWF back in the day. Really? And he actually, yeah, he was for a very short period of time. And he actually shares a story from when Tiger Ali Singh approached Vince McMahon on the company plane. And, well, it probably shouldn't come as too much of a surprise that Vince was uh, a tad insensitive. So, Andy, you'll have to go back and listen to this clip uh, a little while later. But here is Patrice O'Neill talking about Tiger Ali Singh. This guy with a turban, he sends it, he goes, listen, my family says, please, can you stop oh, making no. fun oh, my God. of my turban? Oh, no. Because my people, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Ali what? Singh, oh. Tiger Ali Singh, he's right. like, please, don't make fun of the, he goes, <laughs> he goes, shut up and put on a turban. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we had Farouk accompanied by The Rock, Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, and Kama Mustafa taking on chains with Skull, 8-Ball, Ken Shamrock, and a fanny pack-wearing Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> I wrote the same thing down. I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh, how, how can you not mention that? Uh, he just doesn't pull it off like The Rock does. The Rock wearing a fanny <laughs> pack, that's pretty cool. Ahmed Johnson wearing a fanny pack, that's... I don't know what that is. That's not good. No. Have you ever seen that famous uh, picture from back in the day of The Rock wearing a fanny pack with a turtleneck and the chain over the turtleneck yes. with his pineapple hair? Oh, my God. Yes, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Amazing. So 90s. <laughs> yes, very much 90s. It'd be even more 90s if he maybe had a pager on his belt at the same time. Oh, that would be perfect. Oh, a man can dream. I know. But yeah, so this is uh, Farouk versus Change. So this is the leader of the nation versus the leader of the DOA. So during the match, Michael Cole broke in with an update and said Vince McMahon was at the hospital with Terry Funk and Mick Foley. Funk has regained consciousness, but Foley is, quote, 
not out of the woods yet, as he is in and out of consciousness. That's right, folks, in their increasing attempt to stay within striking distance of Nitro's ratings, they're asking you to stay tuned to the remainder of the broadcast, because you may end up being told that Mick Foley has been murdered. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway, as for the Farouk Chains, mat- Chains match, easy for me to say, I don't know if you caught this, but did you hear Farouk yell at someone in the crowd to shut the fuck up? No, I missed that. Oh, it was great. That was pretty much the lone highlight of this match. And of course, the match actually ended in perhaps the dumbest way possible, as Farouk went to whip Chains off the ropes, where Kama would then grab Chains' foot to trip him up. Instead, Chains reversed Farouk's Irish whip, and Kama grabbed Farouk's foot by mistake because he was half paying attention. Because why bother paying attention when you're supposed to do your spot? You know, just, uh, yeah. oh, I'll, I'll just reach my hand out, and whoever I trip, I trip. That that spot never made sense to me in wrestling. But anyway, no. so... So Kama trips Farouk by mistake. Farouk then went outside and got in Kama's face as the referee just counted him out. Just didn't give a shit about the match anymore. I guess, uh, well, I guess he's like the majority of the fans in attendance then in that regard. I, I would agree. But yeah, so the rest of the nation then had to separate Farouk and Kama as they started to brawl. Eventually, they all walked to the top of the stage where Farouk asserted his leadership and ordered all of them to give the Black Power salute. Amusingly, you could hear Farouk tell Mark Henry to, quote, get your big ass over there, which I thought was pretty enjoyable. Uh, what were your thoughts on this match and angle? Uh, forgettable. Um, the, NO, the NOD DOA Los Bariquas whole spiel during the Attitude Era no offense to any of those workers did not really care all that much the only thing really good that came out of that was the rock yep absolutely and i will say right now at this point the nation you've got farouk rock mark henry delo brown kama mustafa these are all guys who get super over in the attitude era but right now they are not super over no Pretty much The Rock, even The Rock is still kind of getting there. He's getting the Rocky Sucks chance, but obviously by the end of the year, he's going to be hitting a, a pretty good stride. I'd say so. But yeah, most of these, I agree with you. The fact right now, Nation of Domination, Disciples of Apocalypse, Los Bariquas, Truth Commission, it's still very much that, that sort of half-pregnant era, as uh, I mentioned earlier, Commission. where it's like, yeah, I where it's like, about oh, that. a bunch of crappy gimmicks. Yeah. yeah, the Truth Commission is coming to an end, I think, pretty soon, but uh, Los Bariquas, DOA, they've still got a while to go, um, as does the nation, for better or worse. So, yeah. Yeah. But anywho, our next match... Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, I was going to say, uh, before you get to the next match, you, match, you forgot the uh, Western Union Rewind, Did you see? <laughs> which was, uh, again, talking about the uh, Truth Commission. It had a uh, clip of Kurgan, who was a complete waste of space. And uh, is Western, I mean, I, they all, I always love like, watching these because WWE keeps in those little like kind they of do. things from the era, like 1-800-COLLECT and, and Western yeah. Union and sending money. I, I, always, I love that. That's, I just wanted to say I absolutely love when they do that. The fastest way to send money worldwide. Yeah, because PayPal wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Western Union, I, I gotta imagine. they Are they still in business? They probably I, are. Maybe? I don't know. I'd have to Google that later and see. I'm, I'm not really sure, honestly. Yeah, if so, they're probably not doing uh, that sort of money-sending method they used to do back in the day. I'm sure they've probably evolved. But uh, Probably. Yeah, 1-800-COLLECT, I don't know if they're still in business. Probably not. I think 1010-220 is probably DOA. More than I likely. I'd and, say so. And, when I say DOA, I don't mean Disciples of Apocalypse. <laughs> right, exactly. Not that, for the not record. That at all. But yeah, um, I typically do. I don't mention those segments typically unless something really noteworthy happens. Like one of the 1-800-Collect slams of the week was Vader hitting a moonsault on a jobber. Now that one I definitely mentioned because that's that's noteworthy. That's pretty cool when Vader that is, hits a moonsault. That is pretty awesome. 
But yeah, but this was, was this the Kurgan clip where he basically grabs the jobber by the head and pulls him backstage? <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was that was the entire thing, like from uh, Shotgun Saturday Night, which totally don't miss that show either. Oh no, <sighs> oh, Shotgun God. Saturday Night is probably coming pretty close to its end. Maybe I don't know because that started I think in early '97 or maybe late '96, yeah. and now we're in '98. And is anybody really still watching Shotgun I, Saturday when, Night? I don't know. When the best thing apparently that happened on Shotgun Saturday Night was Kurgan dragging a jobber out, then no, nothing of importance was happening. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like they're actually now taping Shotgun Saturday Night in actual. Um, wrestling arenas when they started i think they were legit taping it in like bars yeah which kind of gave it that, that sort of grimy feel. interesting it was a different yeah. angle yeah definitely a different time but anyway fuck shotgun saturday night now because it's just it's nothing <laughs> um so our next match it was nwa north american heavyweight champion jeff jarrett and barry windham accompanied by jim Cornette and the rock and roll express taking on justin hawk bradshaw and his mystery partner who turns out to be Flash Funk, really? That's that's the best he could do. Flash I feel like Funk. that's the only wrestler that they had at the time who hadn't wrestled that night because this roster is so fucking thin. Yeah, seriously, get him and his bright red onesie out there. Mm-hmm. Not for long, though. No, yeah, exactly. I was just going to mention that. So Flash Funk only lasts what about a minute or so mm-hmm. in this match as the Rock and Roll Express dropped him throat first onto the old school steel barricade behind the ref's back, which caused several other referees to help him backstage, thereby turning this into a handicap match. However, Bradshaw was able to overcome the odds as Jarrett and Wyndham went for a double backdrop, but when they bent over, Bradshaw kicked Wyndham in the face, then hit Jarrett with a clothesline and pinned him for the three count. I was actually surprised to see he got a pretty decent sized pop for that victory. Not not too bad. Yeah, no, I was I was a little surprised by that. Maybe it's because people didn't really care about the NWA. Um, also, the fact that he was able to beat basically the entire NWA essentially yeah, exactly. by himself does not bode well for the NWA. Not at all. No. Including pinning the recently crowned NWA North American heavyweight champion. Yeah. In a handicap match. Right. Yeah, not good. So after the match, Bradshaw continued beating on the NWA members until Jim Cornette hit him in the back with his tennis racket. Bradshaw knocked Cornette down with a really crappy-looking punch, but then the NWA ganged up on him and hit him with an elevated neckbreaker. Jarrett put Bradshaw in the figure four as the Rock and Roll Express held his arms down, and Wyndham delivered two splashes to Bradshaw's leg, which looked pretty stupid. Your thoughts on the match and the NWA getting the better of JBL? Eh, pass. Agreed. Yeah, this NWA angle, I don't know. It's... It's actually an interesting parallel to what's going on in real life because it's basically Jim Cornette saying, I want real wrestling to come back. And, of course, in the Attitude Era, real wrestling starts to go the way of the dodo for a while there. It does. Until they start bringing in the more accomplished guys like your Kurt Angles mm-hmm. and you know your Radicals with a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, when you start having uh, you know The Rock and Steve Austin kind of really hitting their stride, Triple H kind of really hitting his stride, then the work rate picks up. But for a time there... Spoiler alert, Attitude Era fans, there is a time where the matches are pretty consistently short and garbagey, uh, right. as we're seeing here so far. Yeah, in this episode so, especially, absolutely. Absolutely. How much how much wrestling time would you say happened on this show? Maybe 15 minutes? I would say far less than it was in that opening segment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, dump, the dumpster segment alone took up more time than there was time for wrestling in the I, entire episode. I would agree, because, I mean, when we're not dealing with the dumpster segment, we've got the Exos Talk segment, we've got the Tiger Alley Singh vignette, we've got the uh, Michael Cole updates, which we're going to talk about in a second. I mean, it's oh. it, it definitely it's just too much going on. Well, that's a perfect segue right there, because next Look up... That. 
Michael Cole calls in with another update from the hospital. He vaguely tells us that, quote, all hell has broken loose. The situation has turned, quote, grave, and there is now security everywhere. Now, conveniently, the signal cuts out again before Cole can elaborate, so we can only hope for another update later. Once again, folks, please don't flip over to Nitro, because now we're really teasing the fact that by the end of the night, we may be referring to Mick Foley as dead love. Oh, sadness. Yeah. You know, it's 1990s cell phones, though. What can you expect from the signal? That's a fair point. Yeah, they did cut out pretty often, I would imagine. I didn't get my first one until 2001, so I don't don't even know. I don't know either. My mom made me get one uh, post-9-11. Ah, True story. (laughs) But anywho, after a commercial break, we go into the ring where, yes, Wink Collins stumbles through a promo where he tells us all that the remaining seats for WrestleMania 14 were sold today in Boston. Wink is wearing a plaid robe and an ascot for some reason, and now most listeners are rightly asking the question, who the fuck is Wink Collins? Good question. Well, prior to his appearance, you may possibly remember him from one of the infamous Billionaire Ted segments, where he hosted a fake game show called TV Trivia, in which controversial real-life Ted Turner quotes were featured. Other than that, he was the WWF's senior live event marketing advisor from 1988 to 2008, and the only reason I know that is because I looked up his LinkedIn profile, or WinkedIn profile, as it were. (laughs) The things I do for this show. However, <laughs> unfortunately for Wink, the lights go out and he gets interrupted by Kane and Paul Bearer. Kane grabs Wink by the throat, and honestly, Wink kind of deserves this for not leaving the ring when he had plenty of time to get the hell out of there. Yeah. However, and also for no selling the uh, the fire behind him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Maybe that's why he only made two appearances on Raw ever. Probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert! I think this is Wink's last appearance on Monday Aww, Night Raw. I'm gonna miss I Wink. Know. I also didn't mention this. I forgot to mention this as well, but uh, Ahmed Johnson is now no longer wrestling. He's done wrestling on Raw for the rest of history. Uh, He's still there on the Nation of Domination, and he may still wrestle on house shows or maybe on a pay-per-view. But looking up uh, his Raw matches, he now no longer has any more Raw matches. That one from a few weeks ago where Rock Rock suplexed him and he loudly yelled, fuck, that was his last appearance (laughs) in a wrestling capacity. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, I know, right? They're, they're probably like, yeah, we're, we're taking you off TV now. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it. Actually, spoiler alert for future segments. From now on, when wrestlers uh, have their last matches on Raw, I'm going to do an in-memoriam segment for them. So, so keep an eye out for that. Nice, I love it. So yeah, so the lights go out, and uh, yep, Kane shows up, grabs a wink by the throat. However, Vader interrupts before Kane can commit the second murder on tonight's broadcast. <laughs> Vader grabs Mike and yells quite a bit. He tells Kane he's going to, quote, put his fire out right now. And then he grabs a fire extinguisher and uh, extinguishes Kane out of the ring, I guess. So what were your thoughts on this segment? I thought Vader was screaming too loud and blowing out the mic constantly. <laughs> um, and the fire extinguisher thing was kind of weird to me. I don't know. Um, I, I, I give Vader credit for enthusiasm, but I don't know. It was a segment that really didn't need to be there. Yeah, I I'm, I would kind of be psyched for a Vader Kane match. I feel like that could be pretty entertaining from a capacity of like two big guys who just you know go head to head with Vader being stiff as shit and Kane being the more accomplished worker. Um, but this is still very early in the Kane gimmick and later in Vader's career. So who knows? They're going to fight at the pay per view, the upcoming No Way Out of Texas pay per view. So I guess we'll see. We'll see we'll if it's any good. We'll find out. 
Next up, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the Road Dog Jesse James. Strangely, Billy Gunn did the Oh You Didn't Know intro instead of Road Dog. He says the higher-ups in the company may be mad at them now, but they'll be a lot happier tomorrow when they see the Nielsen ratings. More on that in a little bit. Now, Andy, this is February 2nd, 1998, but would you care to take a guess as to when was the last time Steve Austin wrestled in a match on Monday Night Raw? Oh, um... Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. Was this... uh... I might need a little help. Was this before or after the Owen Hart paralysis incident? Right before. This is right before it. Yep. Um so man, I don't I don't even know. Um I'm gonna say maybe August of the year before? Slightly earlier actually. July twenty really? eighth. July 28th, 1997, and on that show, uh, he and Dude Love were actually the WWF Tag Team Champions, and they lost to the Godwins, of all people, via countout. Six days later, Austin broke his match, broke his match, <laughs> broke his neck in his match with Owen Hart at SummerSlam 97, and he has not wrestled on Raw since then, so it's been six whole months without Austin wrestling on wow. Raw, although obviously involved in other capacities. Clearly, the company is trying to protect him as much as possible by saving his wrestling appearances for pay-per-views and the occasional tag team matches at house shows right. where his ring time can be limited but yeah it's been it's been six months i think it worked out because this match was not much of a match anyway no no it was not um as a matter of fact the bell just rings so it was an official match the bell did ring austin knocked down billy gunn outside the ring then beat on road dog in the ring for a few seconds literally until billy just runs in and causes yes a disqualification what else would it be for christ's sake shocking yeah so Billy gets a stunner for his troubles, but then DX come to ringside. They pull Austin out of the ring, and all four men beat on him. They then tie Stone Cold in the ring ropes as Shawn Michaels puts his WWF title in Austin's face and says this is as close as he will ever get to the belt. And then, who should run to the ring to help rescue Austin but none other than Mick Foley swinging an IV stand <laughs> and Terry Funk dressed in a hospital gown swinging a chainsaw. DX and the Outlaws run backstage as Austin gives chase. He returns a few seconds later with a DX shirt, which he then proceeds to rip as the show goes off the air. However, if you watched on the WWE Network, which I assume you did, you also got a bonus segment called Extra Attitude, which is presumably footage they did not originally show on the broadcast. Pretty pointless because all they showed was Austin grabbing a headset and saying he'll beat anyone's ass, including Mike Tyson. Then he poses on the turnbuckle, pushes a cameraman, pops one of the remaining balloons for some reason, flips off the crowd, and that's the end of the episode. So Andy, I will ask you to hold on to your overall thoughts on the show for just a moment, because first, we must go to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed MCs back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been dug in. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the hype like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. Cause WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The ratings recap. Okay, so despite DX and the Outlaws continuously saying they were going to increase the ratings this week, Raw's rating actually held firm at a 3.5 for the second straight week, which I think is pretty lousy because this live episode of Raw got the exact same rating as last week's pre-taped episode, where the results were available on the internet for six days before it aired, and almost nothing noteworthy happened on that show. Now, on the other hand, Nitro's rating increased from a 4.7 to a 4.9, so this was another strong victory for WCW, and here's what we could have been watching on Nitro instead of Raw, so let me know if you would have preferred watching this show instead. Okay. 
Juventud Guerrera defeated Psychosis. Uh, and incidentally, do you know who was never actually able to defeat Psychosis? Uh, no. Chris Benoit. Yeah, I, I dare say he's succumbed to psychosis quite a bit. Ah, yeah. okay, I see what you did there. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job, uh, good job. Thank you, thank you. Ultimo Dragon defeated Kidman. Chris Jericho defeated Super Callow to retain his newly won WCW World Cruiserweight Championship. Jericho actually just won the belt nine days prior at the sold-out pay-per-view. Booker T defeated Steven Regal to retain his WCW World Television title, and that actually may be worth checking out sometime. Conan defeated Hugh Morris. That one likely is not worth checking out sometime. <laughs> Probably not. Scott Hall defeated Jim Neidhart. Bill Goldberg defeated Mark Starr. So he's really padding that undefeated streak at this he point. He really is, man. Yeah. Steve Mongo McMichael and the British Bulldog fought to a double countout. Raven defeated Disco Inferno. The Steiner Brothers defeated Kevin Nash and Buff Bagwell. And Randy Savage defeated Sting by disqualification. Now, just a quick FYI here. At this juncture in time, the WCW world title is actually vacant at this point, with Sting having been stripped of the title a mere 11 days after defeating Hulk Hogan at Starcade in his return to the ring after roughly 15 months in the rafters. Vintage WCW. Sting returns to the ring and scores a huge win over the NWO. Oh, wait, they just took the belt away from him because the finish was screwy. Yay? Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, overall, that card sounds not too bad. I mean, especially yeah. the fact that you count the number of matches. That's a, there's a lot of matches there, and, and I don't know if those matches were just as short as the WWE versions, uh, but uh, yeah, it sounds like there was some things that I would want to watch on that show. Absolutely, and, and that's, a, that's a pretty good point I was going to make as well, because WCW is strongly stressing the actual wrestling right now, while Raw is obviously much heavier on the promos and angles, to say the least, when, when they waste that much time on, on one segment. Maybe not waste much time, but... Um, when they certainly devote a huge chunk of time to one particular segment, then yeah, that's that's a pretty angle-heavy show, I guess you could say. It is. Absolutely it is. So, in terms of that, in terms of the Raw synopsis, Andy, what did you think of this episode of Monday Night Raw? It was an episode of Raw that probably could have been done in an hour, given the fact that they went over so much on certain things. It was There were some highlights, uh, so some, some high points from the event, we got some definite, very classic WWF Attitude Era moments. The pushing of uh, the dumpster, the segment at the very beginning of the show with DX. There were some things that really did stand out. And I think that there were things that happened that definitely did push us closer toward WrestleMania and building mm-hmm. like Austin and HBK. But... Overall, there are also some other moments where, again, we see this kind of carryover where hopefully, you know, things like the NWA um, and this, you know, fractured NOD, you know, these different storylines that are just not really working all that much. Maybe hopefully they'll be coming to an end soon. Yeah, one can only hope. Uh, The NWA still has quite a while to go, I think, unfortunately. Joy! But yeah, yeah. But I'll do my best to uh, to make it enjoyable on this show. Uh, no promises, but I'll, I'll I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. But yeah, I I would second it. I think I watching the dumpster angle unfold. It did take a while, and at the time I was kind of like, wow, they're really playing this up as a serious thing. Um, and I mean, I, at the time I was kind of like, okay, this is interesting because they are certainly really going for it. They're really trying to make it seem like this was a legitimate, uh, you know, injury. Obviously they're playing it off like 
the spot was planned, but when Road Dog is saying to Vince, like, oh, it just it didn't go as we planned it, <laughs> you know, they're making it seem like it was pretty serious. But then when you have the guys who are, who you're telling us throughout the broadcast are critically injured return at the end of this broadcast, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. And the fact that the fact that the crowd, even the crowd, after just having sat on their asses for 30 minutes watching the dumpster incident, at the very end when Austin's getting attacked and the crowd is chanting LOD, even the crowd was thinking, okay, there's no way these guys are going to come back this soon after they just got, after we just killed 30 minutes hyping up how severely they're injured. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that was kind of, that was, I feel like that undid a lot of the work they did with the dumpster yeah. segments. It so. undercuts, it undercuts the severity that they were trying to build for all that time. Yeah, and also retroactively, once we've seen Mick Foley throw himself off the top of Hell in a Cell and continue the match, I feel like it doesn't give as much weight to falling six feet inside of a dumpster full of packing peanuts. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's no fault of the segment at the time. It's just retroactively now we know, you know, the, the severity to which Mick Foley's willing to put his body on the line and still bounce back from it, but... um Overall, yeah, pretty pretty okay show, but it did give us two of the more famous Attitude Era moments with the State of the Union with the dumpster. So I guess mild mild thumbs up on my end? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say that's probably a, a good way to describe it. I, I would say that it was entertaining to go back and watch the episode, but man, when you go back and you watch these old Attitude Era, Era episodes, you kind of wonder... Why were why was I so into this? Like 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 even even like Stone Cold to some extent here, you know, he was the big draw and I remember being really excited, really into Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I don't I don't know 100% what the draw was. Yeah, I actually made that point a couple weeks ago because in the lead up to the Royal Rumble, every week he was stunning multiple people and he was attacking multiple people backstage. And I was just kind of like, oh, this is getting this is getting a little bit repetitive here. This is getting a bit yeah. uh, tiresome. But um, you know, obviously, better days are ahead for Stone Cold once he gets to that stage of Raw where he's just causing property destruction on a weekly basis. I think that does that that is pretty entertaining. But maybe I'll have different thoughts going back and looking at it. Maybe I'll be like, oh, geez, really driving another vehicle into the arena? Huh? <laughs> How many vehicles are you going to drive there, Austin? Yeah. Oh, it was a cement truck. Now it's a beer truck. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's it was definitely interesting from that capacity. I think Austin right now. I liked the Austin Sean segment. Um, Tyson is still lingering on the periphery. Um, spoiler alert: Even though uh, Austin challenges him to come to No Way Out of Texas, Tyson does not show up at No Way Out of Texas. So I don't know if that was just a ploy <laughs> to sell um, more pay per view buys. More than um, likely, yeah, probably. But yeah. So we still have some more some more to go with Tyson, I suppose, including another very famous Attitude Era moment. I don't know when that's coming up, but uh, yeah, spoiler alert, uh, Tyson gets involved with one of the wrestlers and, and joins a certain group. But, you know, we'll, we'll save that for another day. Absolutely, but absolutely. Overall, overall, mild, mild thumbs up. So, yeah. I guess with that we can uh, we can conclude. We went about an hour this week. This is certainly uh, my longest uh, episode so far, but but for a good cause. Absolutely, and I want to thank you again very much uh, for bringing me on here. I had a blast just going back and reliving this you know part of history from the WWE Network and going and watching these old Monday Night Raws. And I'm going to have to go and, and watch some more and 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 be able to when I listen to the episodes of the Raw Attitude podcast, be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about there. 
Yeah, if you want to watch Monday Night Raw along with the show every single week, by all means, you can you can keep up. There you go. Make it an interactive interactive thing. Because I mean, you know, while this was kind of mildly entertaining, I mean, it's got to be better than what WWE's putting out right now, right? Oh yeah, I think even watching a shitty Attitude Era show for an hour and a half is better than watching a shitty three hour plus episode of Monday Night Raw. Absolutely. Yeah, and especially when the Attitude Era finally kicks into full gear where everybody has a wacky storyline. Even if the matches are shitty, and even if they're giving us god-awful garbage like beaver cleavage, it's at least still entertaining in the respect that, wow, that was so terrible, and yet I can't look away. Yeah. So, in that regard, I think that's maybe why people hold the Attitude Era in high regard still, is that it's like, well, that was so goddamn wacky and stupid— and yet it's entertaining for that reason. I but that's agree. just me. But that's just me, yeah. So, yeah, great job, Andy. And uh, if you want to return sometime in the future, uh, by all means, feel free. And would you care to plug your side projects one more time before sure. uh, we depart? Sure. Uh, you can check out the Shadowvane podcast by going to shadowvane.net. We are per- hopefully tonight, if I can get it all 100% done, releasing oh. the final. And although tonight is different from when you get this probably up, up and out, but... Uh, We'll have the final episode of our current story, Progenics Labs, and also check out Tuning Japanese at tuningjapanese.com. Episode one coming out on Sunday, and uh, there's the rundown as well. So I mean, I'm on that every once in a while, and I'm usually just producing it more than anything these days. So you can definitely check out the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Yes, I I, I forgot to plug the Rundown more. Uh, my friend Raccoon Reigns, who is a talking raccoon, a distant relative of the WWE's Roman Reigns, appears on that show. He does, and, and uh, he's he's an interesting individual. Um, you know, you just gotta you gotta make sure that you approach him in a certain way. Sometimes he can. I mean, no offense, he could be a little feral. He can. That's true. Rabid, one might say. You might call it that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been told that he and I sound alike. I personally don't see no, it. But, uh, no, I no, don't, I don't. I don't hear it at all. No, I don't either. But if you want to listen to the rundown and uh, see the resemblance, by all means, go ahead. And I guess we can just leave it at that. I guess so. As always, <laughs> and as always, thank you to our fans for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am, of course, Henry Huge Pex, the Suplex Throwing Human Duplex. I'll remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Drop us a line at rawattitudepodcast at gmail dot com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Before we go. Andy, I have a question for you. Right. Do you have an all-time favorite wrestling moment or promo? And if so, I will play it at the conclusion of this broadcast. Oh, man. All-time favorite wrestling promo. Oh, man. Um, if you don't have a favorite, I'll probably just put in a horribly awkward clip like just spitballing here. Michael McGillicuddy's This Will Be The Moment promo from the NXT competition. Uh, I'm just I'm spitballing. Give me, give me just a... How about the the Shawn Michaels, uh, Marty Jannetty barbershop? I think that's oh. probably my favorite promo moment of my entire wrestling memory. Great choice. Great choice. I remember watching that one as a kid. Be, I was a huge rocker's mark. So mm-hmm. when Shawn Michaels was like, yeah, we're back together. He holds up holds up Jannetty's arms. I was like, oh, thank God. They're staying Me too. Together. Me too. Then he su- yeah, just gives him the super kick, smashes his face to the window. I was like, oh, this is really serious. Oh, my I God. Know. I felt so, so betrayed, especially because I was a Genetti guy. Like, I really was a Genetti guy over a Shawn oh, Michaels guy. Well, obviously you made the right choice. I, obviously I did. History will, will, will say that I definitely backed the correct horse in that race. Oh, of course, of course. So, yeah, well, in that case, I will play that at the end of the episode. And for you fans next week, 
We will see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rockers! Told you. Told you. Tag team specialist. See, one without the other isn't any good. Oh! Oh, I knew he was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Janetti. I told you that off and on. Are you kidding? What a despicable act that was. Chinetti tried to dive through the window to escape. Did you see that? Are you blind? What an act of cowardice. Oh, he's hurt. A plate glass window. Oh, look at that. He's busted wide open. We need a paramedic here. Is there a problem? They're done. They're finished, my son. Yeah, there's a problem with you, Sean. Rockers are history. And starting this moment from now, from this moment on, this will be the moment starting now of the genesis of McGillicuddy.